This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Just a warning, this episode has swearing in it, so buckle up. Writers and actors in Hollywood have been on strike. But this week... A breakthrough. It only took 146 days, but the WGA has officially reached a tentative agreement with the studios. This is actress and writer Francesca Ramsey. So does this mean that the writer's strike is officially over? Not yet, but we are pretty damn close. You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shante Joseph for The Guardian. Striking season has been in full effect and I'm sure you've seen images and videos of the most star-studded picket line this summer. A well-known name here, Kristen Wiig. It's, it's very important that we're out here and that we're all standing together. Members of the Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild have been on strike for better pay, AI assurances, bigger writers' rooms and fairer contracts, as well as many other issues. Testing, testing, one, two, three. This is Francesca Ramsey coming to you live from Los Angeles. Francesca Ramsey's videos have been going viral. Y'all, I messed up. I really did not anticipate becoming the unofficial spokesperson for the writer's strike and the actor's strike. So we got in touch with her to talk about celebrating a deal for writers. But as she's also an actor, she's still on strike. I started making YouTube videos in 2006, just after YouTube had been founded. And I really made a name for myself making natural hair videos and sketches and parodies. And then in 2012, I had a viral video called Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls. Not to be racist, but... Not to sound racist, but... Not to sound racist. My grandma hates collards. Wait, is that racist? which I think amassed like 5 million views in that first week and is now at about 12 million views, which in the TikTok age doesn't seem like huge numbers. But in 2012, it, it was very big and it opened all sorts of doors for me. I was working as a graphic designer and got my first agent and left my job and, and never looked back. 
And since then, I have written for Comedy Central and Amazon and Paramount Plus. And most people might know me because I had a show on MTV called Decoded. Okay, so this is a big one. Today, we're debunking some common myths about black hair. Now, it'd be almost impossible to encompass every single thing about black hair. Which is about race and pop culture. And I think we ran for eight or nine seasons, like something like 90 episodes. And we covered all sorts of topics around identity, but through a comedic and pop culture lens. And it was so brilliant. And I remember like sending those videos to my friends constantly because I remember the video shit white girls say to black girls. Like I remember that being out when I was maybe in my first year of uni and just being like every body needs to watch this. Like, this is exactly how I feel studying at a very white, very old university. And it just kind of like, just summarized my entire experience. And it was like, you were kind of giving um, me a language to talk about the things that I'd been through that in my head felt really weird. Like, I knew yeah. I was experiencing something that was off, but I had no way of like conceptualizing it. I had no language to talk about it. And basically through your comedy, through your writing, I basically developed a way to discuss what I was experiencing. You had such a huge impact on me and on my peers as well, because we all loved your stuff. I mean, that, that video opened so many doors for me. So the thing I often remind people of is that you don't necessarily know what opportunities are out there for you. And the viral video literally changed my life and turned me into a TV writer, which is not the thing that I thought I was going to be doing. We're going to talk about the strikes. But something I was thinking about is how much it must have really made you think negatively about your industry because of the things that you're fighting for now. I wonder if there have been any previous moments where you felt like you didn't want to work in this industry anymore. Yes. <laughs> Tell me. Oh my God, all the time. I mean, I, the thing that I was not prepared for, even though I did go to acting school, was just how much rejection is a part of this industry. And you really have to have I jokingly say you have to be delusional. You have to believe in yourself more than anybody else in the room because so many people are going to tell you no. And and it's also, you know, moment of vulnerability. It's hard watching sometimes your peers find success before you. Sometimes they absolutely deserve it. And sometimes you're like, this bitch got it over me. Like, what's going on? Like, I know I'm putting mm. in the work. I know I'm talented. When is my moment? And you just have to be resilient and remember that it's a marathon and not a sprint. Mm. I have sold a television show every year since 2017, and none of them have gone to series. And I've had the first time it happened, I was devastated. And I really thought like something's wrong with me. I'm not talented. And I now know that that's just part of this process. There's so many successful, talented people. I'm, I'm friends with Quinta Brunson. And I think before Abbott Elementary, she had three different shows. She had one at CW. She had one at um, HBO Max. And I remember us talking about it and her working on Abbott and being like, girl, I don't know. I don't know what's about to happen. Seeing those people continue to be resilient and find success is what's helped keep me going. And were there any kind of rejections that you experienced that felt particularly brutal? 
I had a pilot at Comedy Central and after the pilot, they do what's called a test where they show the pilot to like a group of people. They give feedback. And I remember that they said I tested very badly with white men. And I was like, and (laughs) what's what's wrong with that? Uh, (laughs) And I remember feeling frustrated that I was essentially being told that my work wasn't palatable enough to a specific audience and Mm. therefore the show wasn't going to go forward. And this feeling of, well, that's not my audience and Mm. that's okay. Right. Like maybe my job is to bring a new community to this network. And so I remember that being a really painful and, and sad time. And then I met a bunch of writers at um, a women's WGA event. And when everybody went around the circle and introduced themselves, they all said what they were working on. And almost every woman in the room had a story about a pilot not going to series. And by the time they got to me, I was crying. And I just said, my show didn't go. And I thought I was a failure. And now I'm sitting in a room with people who've worked on some of the best shows on TV. And everyone here has had that happen. And it was really eye-opening for me. And it it helped me change my perspective on my work and focusing on what I can control instead of somebody else giving me an opportunity. I don't even know how you get used to something like that, but it feels like it's very much part and parcel of the industry. Could you maybe talk us a bit through like the business of being an actor? So what are the costs that come with working? Because I think it's very easy to see like, you know, this person got paid X amount and this person got paid X amount, but actually there's a lot of startup costs in acting. What are they and how much are they? Yeah, I mean, I think right now one of the big core issues that's on the on the table with the actor strike is around self tapes. Mm. So um, before the pandemic, you would get an audition and you would drive to a casting office. You'd go in, you'd tape the audition, you'd get notes, you'd leave, and then that's it. You either book the part or you don't. Well, during the pandemic, in order to be safe with COVID, self-tapes became the norm, Mm. which happened before, but this became really the standard where you would be filming your auditions at home. And on the one hand, it does make things more convenient, but to your point about cost, you need to buy good equipment in addition to then learning the technical skills to film and edit together your clips. and that's not something everyone's proficient in. So either you spend the time to do that in your own personal money or all these self-tape studios popped up where you could go and pay 30 bucks for 15 minutes and someone would read the sides with you and and do your audition. Um, Outside of like the Jennifer Lawrence's of the world and the Brad Pitt's and the, the big name actors, all of the working actors who are populating the world of all these shows sometimes are only booking two or three a year or one a year and then if you book the role you still have to pay your agent your manager maybe your lawyer maybe your business manager and put aside money for taxes (laughs) so like congratulations I hope you're prepared to pay everybody now (laughs) you've given a really good picture of what it's like as an actor So I want to get into what the protests are about. In May, the writers went on strike and in July, the actors joined that strike. So what were the things people were unhappy about? 
Sure. So every three years, we negotiate a contract with the studios. And that contract is between the Writers Guild of America and the studios have a contract. And then Screen Actors Guild, SAG, have a contract with the studios as well. And that contract includes everything from how much you get paid for per week based on what your role is on the show, um, what level of a writer you are, what level of a cast member as an actor you are what your weekly pay looks like, and also how much of that pay goes to your pension and healthcare plans. Um, And so in in addition to like residuals, and there were a number of concerns that we had ahead of 2023. Um, We should have negotiated these contracts in 2020, but because of the pandemic, everything was on hold. Our big things on the table were streaming residuals and AI. And so residuals are the payments that the studios make to writers and actors based on their work. Mm -hmm. Um, So the TV show comes out and they put advertisements on it. The advertisers pay to have their ads on the show and you get a little stipend from that. Now that's something that we fought for years ago before I was in the union. Um, But now with streaming, there's a whole new metric. Uh, We don't know how many views the shows are getting. We have residuals for network we don't have them for streaming. So that was a big one, especially because if you work on a TV show and you only work on the show for five months, you're contracted, you can't work on another show this year, you're waiting to find out if you're going to get picked up. Those residuals help you continue to pay your bills before you find out what the next job is. With the uh, advancements in AI, again, something that we were not thinking about even three years ago. We just wanted to make sure that as writers, our work was not being used to train AI to write scripts Mm. and thus cut us out of the process and not get paid for it. And as actors, making sure that we have ownership of our image and our likeness and so that the studios cannot create a character that looks a lot like me and can say and do things that I would not want to do and then they could make money off of it you know someone passes away and they decide well we're still going to make movies with them so as it stands our contract says nothing about those things and those are things that we ask the studios for and I feel like a lot of what I've learned about or understood about the strikes has come from following you because you've been so kind of front and center even on the picket lines as well over the past few months I want to know what compelled you to to do this what really made you think okay cool I'm going to be out here and I'm going to use my platform to speak about this this has been something that I've wrestled with for a while in my career that I feel an extreme sense of obligation to do what's right. I'm very much driven by like a need for justice and equality. And I say that it's like this double-edged sword because when you put yourself out there for what's right, and when you're standing up for the little guy and you're advocating, especially pushing back against the status quo, you do make yourself a target. When the strike was officially called, I saw so many people in my audience saying, I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, why should I care? Or you guys are, you know, everybody in Hollywood's making lots of money. You're all rich. Like, why should I feel sorry for you? And I felt really frustrated by that. And I knew that I have a talent for talking about complex issues in digestible ways, using humor, 
plain English. I'm getting lots of comments on my video about the actor's strike and the writer's strike and the consequences of scabbing. And there are a few people who do not understand what union membership actually means. And yes, union membership is a privilege, not a right. And I know that the issues of the strike, while complicated, they really have like further reaching implications. You know, AI is not something that's just going to affect writers and actors. The, the gains that we make in order to get these protections have the potential to help and trickle down to other industries. It made me feel like I was empowered instead of feeling helpless. Yeah. Oh, when is the strike going to end? What am I going to do? How am I going to, what's next? I was like, well, I'm going to make this content. Let's take a minute. And when we come back, we're going to get into all of the backstage gossip from the picket line with Francesca. Hello, I'm Grace Bent. I'm back and I've been busy. Comfort Eating, our award-winning podcast, is out now. With an exciting lineup, including Shirley Ballas, Bridget Christie, Jamie Demetrio, and many more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back, friends. So I want to talk about the day-to-day on the picket line. From what I saw, it looked like there was such a community feel. Everyone was just supporting everyone. I think that that was truly like the silver lining of the strike. Writing is often like a solitary experience. And similarly to how I needed that community uh, outreach when my first show didn't go, being on the picket lines with people and talking to them about our experiences in the writer's room and development and financial struggles and creative struggles. I was meeting people every day and realizing, oh, this is a shared experience. We had themed picket days. There was also uh, karaoke at Paramount every Friday, which was really fun. I think Seth MacFarlane donated like $5 million to the entertainment fund. We did a joint event with UPS uh, ahead of their potential strike. And it was just the solidarity has been incredible. And even with this agreement, we're still going to be out there supporting SAG. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a dual member. And I think the, the underlying message 
has been when we fight together and we work together, we win together. Um, And I hope that's what everyone takes away from this moment. And you said yourself on TikTok that you've kind of become a bit of an accidental face of these strikes because you've obviously been putting out so much informative content. What has it been like interacting with people on TikTok about the strikes? Oh, I have such mixed feelings about TikTok. I joined so begrudgingly. I was like, I'm too old. I'm not joining TikTok. Like, I don't need another app. And then as soon as I got over there, I was like, shit, I love this. <laughs> but that said, I at times have been frustrated by people's unwillingness to take responsibility for their own education, where it's like, I do all this work to bring you content and explain these things to you. And people are still like, okay, but what about this one thing? I already talked about this in another video, but the strike rules very clearly say notice to non-members, any non-members. I will also say it's been really inspiring seeing just like the shift in class consciousness. Yes. People realizing like, oh, if this actor on my favorite TV show isn't making a good living. Like, who is? Wait, I should. I deserve more too. Wait, I thought unions were bad. Unions are actually good. <laughs> like, people realizing that they've been sold a bill of goods about um, collective bargaining and its power. I think the studios grossly underestimated our ability to create great content and solid messaging. And, you know, with so many recognizable actors on the picket line saying, I'm in a hit show and I can't pay my bills, it really resonated with people. The audience who comes out and they love us and they want us to do more and they want they want to engage with our characters. And I think if you were to ask them how they'd like to- I did some overnights where we actually went to set And we blocked the Teamsters from coming onto set because the Teamsters who drive those big trucks, they won't cross a picket line. So if their call time is 4 a.m., we were there at 3 a.m. to have a picket line. They can't go in. We lose the studio money. So I got to do, I did two of those. And we were able to organize like via text message and social media, like putting up like, okay, we're going to hit this place. Oh, this place is back in production. Bam, let's go. And did you get a lot of pushback from being a huge part of the strikes, particularly online? There were many a times where people would be in my mentions on Twitter. Oh, you guys are going to get replaced by AI. You guys are greedy, blah, blah, blah. You would go to their profile and their profile would be like, three months old and all of their tweets were about the strike and I'm like Hmm. are you a real person (laughs) but then also just like that crabs in a barrel mentality I got a number of comments from people people that I actually know grew up with have worked with who would say things like well I wish we cared this much about nurses and to that I'm like I'm not the reason that nurses are not valued what about teachers The LA Teachers Union was out on the picket lines with us. The LA Teachers Union went on strike in 2019 and now are the have the best salary in the entire country. But you want to pit us against each other? We're not in competition. So I did get a number of comments like that that were very frustrating. Mm. But I think it speaks to the larger issue that the one percent has tricked us into thinking that 
your success is my failure, mm. that there's a zero sum game, that if I'm getting an, a fair wage, then that means that you're not going to get one too. When the reality is, is I don't think anybody needs a 32 million or billion dollar salary. Yeah, I think we can all be taken care of um, and be able to pay our bills off of the work that goes on to produce millions and billions of dollars for these corporate entities. Yeah. And it just feels like we're in like a strike era right Hot now. strike summer. <laughs> it's so weird because for me, I don't think of America as like a striking country. It feels very like anti-union, kind of very much anti-red tape. But I'm the way I'm seeing like workers rise up, not only in the entertainment industry, but in teaching, like Starbucks, motoring, like it's completely Amazon. changed my perception. Yeah, yeah, Amazon. It's like, do you think that things are really changing in the States when it comes to people fighting back against terrible infrastructures and companies? I do. I mean, I think we have a long ways to go, but to your point about your perception of the States, I do think that there has been very deliberate misinformation around unionization and collective bargaining. And what's the reason for that? Why is it that you work at a company and it's discouraged to talk about what your salary is? Mm. It's because they don't want y'all to know that some people are getting way more money than they should, while other people are doing two and three times the work and being paid way less. But the boss continues to get paid well. The the, the shareholders and the, the board members, they continue to be compensated fairly when the reality is they often are not doing any of the work. So I think 1000% that the mobilization you're seeing across all of these industries, not just film and TV, like Mm. you mentioned, nurses and teachers and flight attendants and UPS and Starbucks, the reality is your work has value and you deserve to be compensated for that work. And you should be able to live a comfortable and healthy and fulfilled life, no matter what industry it is that you work. A lot of people have been fooled into this idea that I have to step on somebody else in order to get somewhere. And I just don't believe that that's true. And I think looking forward and looking to the future, in the strike that happened in 2007-2008, we saw a rise in reality TV programs after that because they were so kind of cheap to make. And mm-hmm. streaming has had a massive influence on the industry over the last few years. How do you see these strikes impacting the film and TV we watch in the future? Well, reality talent are talking about trying to unionize. Damn, because yes, I have your- this. Yes, to your point about it being inexpensive, a big part of why it's inexpensive is that those talent are paid pennies. Mm-hmm. They make nothing. And, you know, I think people think of like the real housewives or the people on like real world and those challenge shows. Some of those people are making decent money, mm. but they're making that money after fighting for seasons and seasons to get there. The people who are on these like dating shows, for example, Sometimes they're getting a per diem of like $35 a day. These are people who have to leave their job behind. My hope, again, the trickle-down effect, the power of, of collective bargaining is influencing a lot of people that are in the reality space to say, if we want to continue doing this work, mm-hmm. we want to create fair and safe conditions for talent 
but they also need to be compensated fairly off of that. This is why so many of them are going on tour and doing club appearances. They're like, I need to make money. Visibility is not wealth. I always remind myself that change is hard and that's why it's necessary. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review. This week's episode was produced by Hattie Moya, sound design by Mal Lissetto, original music by Axel Kukutier. The executive producers are Maz Evtaj and Nicole Jackson. See you next Thursday. This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.